if things go keep going as they are right now as of today we have 20 years left with elephants yeah you know that's within our lifetime which that's i just find yeah. mind blowing um and it's just it's that kind of thing that just shakes you to the core where you just think i mean you can't fathom a world where we don't have elephants that's david filer my guest today and this is the generation africa podcast i'm tim alba and your host David is an award-winning artist from Zimbabwe. His work has been shown in New York, London, Harare, and Johannesburg, among other places. He's won the David Shepherd Wildlife Artist of the Year Award and is now an art ambassador for the foundation. David is at the forefront of a new breed of wildlife artists. His work really has to be seen to be believed. It's incredibly detailed and lifelike, and he's an amazing talent. Today, we're gonna to discuss how he became an artist, winning the David Shepherd Award, his routine, and life in Zimbabwe. So please do check it out. David, thanks so much for, for joining me today. It's, it's a real pleasure to, to be chatting to you. I just thought, you know... Yeah, no, thanks uh, for having me. Great. And I thought, like, as a sort of first question, it'd probably be quite a good one to, to go back to the beginning and, and, and to the, the start of your sort of career as an artist. So I just wondered if you could talk a bit about how you got into it, um, yeah, and, and the background to that. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's quite a long... Uh, weird way of where how I found this as a career but um, yeah I guess from the beginning I've always been was always the arty kids at school you know always um, the loner in the art room art <laughs> department um, but just never ever I can't actually stress how little I ever considered being an artist um, you know making it as a career when I was younger went to and then yeah after high school i went to the university of pretoria to study information design which is you know advertising um animation just okay. you know all of the graphic based stuff and it turns out that was not the greatest fit for me um and not that i hated the course so much but i just knew from very early on that it was the wrong course for me and in my spare time, I literally needed to find something that's to make me feel better with life. And that it turned out to be, I just literally got a piece of paper one day and started drawing at night um, after, you know, my lectures. And yeah, I finished that drawing. What, what was the first drawing? Uh, funny enough, so, no, so I'll get to that. So it was <laughs> it's two fighting, two zebras that were fighting um, okay. in the dust. And someone saw that and bought it for their son's 18th. And literally, it was, it was a very weird uh, set of circumstances where I was on the internet one night and stumbled across uh, an advert for the Wildlife Artist of the Year competition in London. And all you had to do was send in a photo of your work, which mm. the deadline was the next morning at 6 a.m., <laughs> And so that night we literally were scrambling around um, and I think, yeah, with a few hours to spare, sent in this, the photograph of those, the two fighting zebras. And yeah, one thing led to the next and it ended up going through each round successfully and ended up winning the category, um, the pencil uh, wildlife in motion category. Um, and this is and the, David was, yeah, Shepherd, was, uh, the David Shepherd competition. Yes, yeah, the David Shepherd Wildlife Artist of the Year. Um, 
but literally that was the first drawing that I had done in years. And it literally just snowballed from there. It was, I wasn't, I wouldn't say that the competition, you know, made me an overnight success, but it was very much a, you know, I don't know if you can call it a sign or whatever, but it was like, right, this is, this is what I want to be doing, or this is, you're on the right track here. Um, and just after that, it was, I would do another drawing and someone would see that one and buy that one. And then someone would order another one. And just gradually over the next three years of my university career, by the time I left university, I had a really nice list of commissions to work through. And yeah, I literally have never got a job ever. Because <laughs> I just kind of landed. By the time I left, yeah, I left university and just started working full time as an artist. That's amazing. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? That when you sort of put it out there and when you kind of put yourself on the line and take a risk, what can happen? Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it just goes to show like exactly that you don't fight it. You kind of just let it kind of happen. I mean, obviously there, there needs to be hard work that goes along with that, but I do count myself just very, very, I count my lucky stars every single day that it kind of just landed in my lap a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, it's amazing to think what, what might have happened if you hadn't have seen that advert and you hadn't have entered that competition, where, where sort of your life would have gone. No, completely, or just even not even done that first drawing. Um, yeah. And I think about that often at the moment, especially with the, the economy crisis at the moment. I just have no idea where I would actually be sitting right now. <laughs> and so how does it work as an artist? I mean, so you, you sort of, you sold your first drawing, which which... I guess it's amazing. I mean, you know, so many artists, I think, probably struggle to, to ever sell a piece of work. But from then on, is it, is it a constant sort of struggle to get your work out there and to market it? Or are people now coming to you? Well, yeah, it's in the beginning. And it's, always, it's advice that I give every single young artist. Um, because I think there is, how do I put this? There's such a danger when you start out that... You know, you want to you want to get your work out there, obviously, but I find a lot of young artists want to have their work shown in a gallery in two weeks' time yeah. um, in London or New York. <laughs> and it just, the art world just does not work like that. Like, it's very much, you need to pay your dues yeah. in the beginning. Um, so, yeah, when I started out, I mean, it was... I was very fortunate that I've never had to like actively seek um, for work. But at the same time, I, my rule to myself was just never say no. Mm. So, I mean, I've drawn a lot of dashans in my life. <laughs> um, a lot of, you know, people's horses, uh, just whatever anyone wanted. Yeah. And just gradually over time, you know, you can, once your name starts going out there, you can start to, raise your prices, um, become a little bit more exclusive in what you accept and what you don't accept as a drawing. Um, and I mean, I'm still way at the bottom of the rungs in terms of, you know, the big artists, but at least I'm at a stage now where I can pick and choose what I want to work on and dedicate my time to. But it's, yeah, the art world is such, it's a fascinating world unto itself where you know there's certain rules and there's certain ways to do things and yeah it's just it's a very strange uh 
yeah, inner working of trying to get your name out there and trying to increase the value of your work. Yeah, I can imagine. It's one of those things, isn't it, that's got a glamour attached to it. And any sort of, any sort of job or career that's got, got that kind of cachet, it, it, it's a weird environment. I mean, I used to be a journalist and sort of the life of a freelance journalist is a lot of the time people sort of expect you to do things for free to kind of get your name out there. And it just it kind of makes it quite sort of quite an exclusive environment, I guess. Um, yeah, and I, you... suppose, I mean, I suppose it is, it's the same as journalism where, you know, you can, I think there's almost, there's two sides of the world. You can be living in a cardboard box under a bridge mm. or you can make it huge. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand the work that goes into it. So therefore, I mean, and oh, look, I got duped a lot in the beginning where it was, you know, please, just, you know, do us a few pieces. We'll put it up in the restaurant and it's great exposure for you. Yeah. And in the beginning, you would just think, what an incredible opportunity. And then you swiftly realize that exposure doesn't pay the rent. Yeah, yeah. And so can you talk a bit about, about your work? I mean, how do you describe it to people? <laughs> I'm something that I always struggle with because, so I mean, I work... Uh, I mean, it's so realistic. It's, it's, it's incredible. Thank you. That's, yeah, hopefully, yeah, still a long way to go. But yeah, hopefully we'll get there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's all in pencil. Mm. Um, wherein, that's wherein lies the problem is, you know, when people say, what do you do? You're like, well, I work in pencil. So they're like, well, are they sketches? And you're like, well, they're more than sketches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like a doodle. And you're like, well, a little bit more than a doodle. Um, but yeah, it's, I just find the whole, I find pencil, the, the techniques and the textures and everything that you can get with, just a pencil, I think the, that's what the fascination is for me. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. a lot of people think pencil work is, you know, loose, rough, yeah, light sketching, where you can actually take it that much further and hopefully achieve photorealism. One yeah, day. and it does, it, it, it does, like, it, I mean, I was trying to think how to describe it. I mean, it sort of looks like a photo, but a kind of a photo of more soul, if you know what I mean. Like, it, it's, there's something in there that kind of, it's not a photo, but it looks so realistic that it could be a photo. It's, it's incredible. I mean, I really... Thanks. I really, yeah. But sure, I think that's, that's one of my biggest um, kind of aims or goals is I think you can inject so much soul and so much emotion into a drawing um, you know, I'm not knocking photography at all, but I do think you can almost hone in on a certain area or something with, yeah. with a drawing and hopefully, yeah, bring out a little bit more, I don't want to say soul again, but yeah, that emotion, the emotional side of it. Or focus. I mean, if you, you know, if, if, if you're looking at one of your, your, your drawings of the, the gorilla or something like that, all you see is the gorilla. Do you know what I mean? In a photo, you'd have everything else going on in the background. You'd have so much more going on. Um, yeah. Like, so I guess, I guess maybe that's it. But also, I mean, that's why I love pencil as well. Is it's, you know, it strips away even the color aspect, which as amazing as it is in the natural, you know, wildlife kingdom um by stripping away the color you almost you make people focus on the shape and the form itself mm. um but yeah it's i love it um and i'm just 
but it's about just pushing myself now. It's, I just, I'm still not at the stage where I want to be. Yeah. What, what do you, I mean, you say that, like, what, what is, what, what is there for you to do? I mean, when I look at your, when I look at your work, it looks perfect to me. <laughs> I mean, um, but, but I'm sort of, you know, I'm not an artist, but I mean, I think, you know, I think you're probably being quite hard on yourself there, but where, where would you kind of see the areas where you, would want to improve, where you would want to grow, where you would want your artwork to sort of move? I, I mean, I know it sounds a bit strange, but because I love, yeah, there are some pieces that I'm actually I'm just very, very chuffed with and, you know, think, okay, that's great. Mm. And it's amazing because then you go back to that same piece, say, you know, two, three months later, and your eye just immediately starts to pick out uh, problem areas. Yeah. And yeah, I would just love to, I mean, I look at work of mine from two, three years ago and there's some, you know, some of my favorite pieces still to this day that I did then. I still want to, I don't know, I think it's about pushing yourself and just trying to get that tighter and more, you know, more detail and literally take it to the point where you just do not know if it's a photo or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess as a perfectionist, which which you must be to sort of create the quality of work you're creating, you're probably, it doesn't burst your bubble. But I mean, I, I don't know if you'll ever be 100% happy with your work, would you? I mean, there'd always no, be No, but that I think that's almost part of the, which what I love, actually. And to be honest, I really hope that I'm never 100% yeah. happy with my work, because then at that point, you kind of stop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it keeps you going. It's what gets me up at yeah. know, five o'clock in the morning is chasing that. And I would just, I would hate to actually get to the point where you no longer have that hunger to, you know, to achieve that. Yeah. Could you talk about your routine a bit? I mean, I imagine like a lot of people probably think an artist kind of, I don't know, sits around and does a bit of, does a bit of drawing when they feel like it. And, you know, <laughs> I would like, love that to be my life. Yeah, me too. But, you know, talking about 5 a.m. starts, I mean, it, it must take an incredible amount of discipline and, and, and drive. And so how do, how do you do that? How do you remain focused? Do you, do you, have, a, do you have a formula? Do you have a structure? Um, I do, but it's not, not so much a set structure. It's more just, yeah, self-imposed routine at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, Puff plus four or five will be up. Um, I'm new to this 5 a.m. club. <laughs> <laughs> it's a growing club. It's one I'm, I, I'm, I'm joining, but not voluntarily. It's my children are getting me up. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. No, because I mean, I used to work until three, four in the morning. You know, I yeah. used to work on the other end of the spectrum. Um, and then I'd say about this year, I started doing the half past four or five o'clock wake up. And yeah, I'll be working by, say, about 6 a.m. And for me, it's not that it's a normal job at all, but I do treat it very much as a normal job in terms of, you know, it's, I'd say more than nine to five. I mean, I'll be working from six and, you know, include lunch and coffee breaks and stuff. But I mean, yeah. at the moment, I'll probably finish work at about 7 uh, p.m. for, you know, for dinner. And then often we'll carry on until about 11 Oh, wow. Um, working. I mean, I'm so lucky to obviously have my studio at home yeah. that I can, you know, work whenever I want. But it's very much a full day's, a full day work in the studio. And do you, do you spend time out in the field? I mean, how, do you sort of, do you, 
do you have to get out there to go and, I mean, uh, most of your work, or, I mean, all your work is, is animals. I mean, are you out in the bush sort of getting material? How does that work? Uh, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, again, before, when I was starting out, I mean, that was the dream was to take, you know, a sketchbook out and go and sit on the top of the Land Rover, you know, do the whole movie moment of yeah. sketching the wildlife. And it just didn't, doesn't work like that for me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's the out of my comfort zone or if it's just the you know inability to draw perfectly when you've got the sketchbook sitting on your knee. Um, so when I am out in the bush and when we are like at Kariba, in Kariba or whatever, it sounds bizarre, but I actually just prefer to just kind of sit and take it all in and watch. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so important to, to do that, actually, to see how the animal moves, to see how, you know, those quirky little nuances that make it, you know, that specific animal. Um, and you just kind of log it into your brain and you take that back to the studio as opposed to mounds and mounds of sketches. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I mean, obviously don't go out to the bush as much as I'd like, but I think it's, especially for wildlife artists, I think it's so important to go and see your subjects out in the wild. Um, otherwise, you just run the risk of drawing a taxidermied animal, you know, with no yeah. movement or with no life in it at all. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, so not going to, not going to lie, all my work is done in, <laughs> in an air-conditioned studio. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do go out to the bush every now and then, and it's, but purely just to kind of just sit and absorb. And where's your favorite place to go? Um, I love I love the Umi River. Yeah. Um, Kariba. And as I mean, as silly as it sounds, there's, you know, the wildlife sanctuaries where you can actually go and sit in amongst the animals, I find is almost the best place to be because you can get mm. right up with the animals, you know, touch them, be around them, you know, watch them walk around and play and stuff. And you get such a sense of their personality as well. Absolutely. Uh, David, when I was sort of writing, I used to get sort of terrible writer's block. And I, I, I don't know if the same happens to artists. I don't know if it does what you'd call it. But do you get that where sometimes you just sort of sit down and you just can't sketch? And if so, I mean, what do you do? How do you get over that? What's your sort of, what's your kind of... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I would almost look at it. I always look at those as just off days. Um, yeah. But... I mean, I can, yeah, I can honestly say I don't think there's ever been a day when I'm supposed to have been working that I've just said, no, I'm not going to work today. <laughs> there's been days when I don't want to work, yeah. but you've, I just forced, I forced myself to sit down and just start. And within half an hour, you're into it. Um, I've, yeah, I don't think I've ever had a day where I've just decided not to. Um, but yeah, they definitely, there's definitely the, the artist block days. Um, but I find, yeah, just sitting down and getting going and, you know, even if you're just doing loose sketches and stuff, you quickly, yeah. I just very quickly snap into it. And how many pieces will you be working on at once? Is it, do you, I mean, do you focus on one or do you have a couple on the go or? Oh, it's such a pain because I, I have tried if, every type of, you know, way of doing things. Um, I love just working on the one piece because I find, you know, it gets all your attention and you can just focus on that one piece. Um, 
I have tried having two or three going on at the same time. And what often happens is, you know, I'll be working on an elephant and you start a baby gorilla in the background. And before you know it, the baby gorilla has all your attention. <laughs> um, and then you've got to like drag yourself back to the elephant. It's yeah, it's very strange. I'm still, I still play around with it at, to this time, to this day. And it also just depends on time constraints. Do you know what I mean? If there's an exhibition yeah. coming up, it's pretty clever to have two or three pieces going at the same time. But yeah. ideally, I just prefer focusing on the one. Because I mean, often, if I start working, say, at 6am, and I'm working on a very difficult section or area, it might only be 11 in the morning or 12 in the morning when suddenly your brain suddenly snaps and figures out how, you know, do you actually going to achieve that um, certain texture or yeah. get the effect that you want. And I find that if you're going between pieces, you don't give your, you don't have that time to really just sit and work and work and work and work on a piece um, yeah. and give it the required amount of time. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and, and do you have a favorite animal to draw? I mean, is there, you know, something you just love drawing or is it? Oh, yeah. It... Uh, elef elephants. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, my elephants are, they, uh, to me, they, they are the most beautiful animals. They've got, there's so much, they so much soul. Um, you know, there's something about an elephant that just fascinates me. Um, you know, their the empathy, their emotions, their characters and all of that i think an elephant's brain goes a lot deeper than we think and i find it incredible to try and put that onto paper yeah yeah you know it's very yeah. easy to draw an elephant it's very difficult to draw the personality yeah and they do have a personality don't they i mean you know if you've ever been up close to an elephant it's just an incredible incredible experience no absolutely and it's that to me is my goal in life is to get people to kind of feel something along the lines of what you see when you stand in front of a real elephant yeah. um but yeah like i said it's it's a work in progress i i mean let's talk about that a bit because i mean you know obviously conservation is so important you know what, what's your yeah. how, how does your sort of artwork feed into conservation and your personal sort of I guess, I guess personally, how do you kind of forward this sort of the conservation goals? Well, I mean, I was, so obviously from the first competition with the David Shepherd's Wildlife Arts of the Year. Um, Which is sort of like the Oscars, right? For, for wildlife. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so, I mean, in that, I'm trying to think, I can't actually remember the year it was, but yeah, I when I won the category for- 2009 and 2011. Yeah, so 2009 was I won the category, and then 2011 was so lucky enough to win the overall competition. Yeah, um, with actually with a photo a drawing of two elephants, um, and it was yeah. Since then, I've become very involved with the well, David Shepherd Foundation. Um, it's me, Emily Lamb, Simon Bannister, and James Kidd are you know all of us are artists in our own field, but are art ambassadors for the foundation. So, which, yeah, through the foundation, we do exhibitions. We had one last year in LA 
Um, the two years before that, there were you know, Christie's auction house in London. And it's just, yeah, it's a, most, a group of the most incredible, incredible artists um, that all have a very like-minded goal of raising money for wildlife conservation through the David Shepherd Foundation. It, you know, it's the most incredible charity and with projects around the world. And it's just, it's quite amazing to be able to draw these animals, but at the same time through the foundation, you know, uh, funnel money through them to directly, you know, help in conservation, conserving them. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean for, for people who don't know, or, or maybe people who've never been to Africa, I mean, how bleak, how, 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 how serious is the situation for, for, elephants for animals in you know in Zimbabwe. Oh, no, it's not. It's, I mean you hear you hear statistics and then you just think I mean that it's dire and then you know two months later you'll get another statistic and it just it actually just is devastating. Um, I mean they recently released an actual statistic that where they've said if things go keep going as they are right now as of today we have mm. 20 years left with elephants. Yeah. You know, that's within our lifetime, which that's I just find yeah. mind-blowing. Um, and it's just, it's that kind of thing that just shakes you to the core, where you just think, I mean, you can't fathom a world where we don't have elephants. Yeah, I mean, it actually makes you ashamed to be a human, doesn't it? <laughs> no, totally. I mean, I mean, I mean what, what are we doing if, like, we can't even protect these sort of, these beautiful, amazing. Creatures. No, absolutely. And I mean, there are incredible, incredible, uh, you know, wildlife sanctuaries and places that are doing incredible work, uh, you know, especially like raising, raising the orf uh, elephant orphans um, mm. from poaching and stuff. And I mean, they are incredible, but I mean, it's, you are fighting every single day for each and each, each and every elephant. And it's just, it just warps my mind that you just think that as humans, we're capable of doing this. I mean, I genuinely think it's the greatest tragedy of our time. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. I think you're right. Um, I mean, I want to talk a bit about Zim. I mean, you're based in Zim, uh, which to people outside of Zim probably seems insane. But I mean, Zim is one of those... <laughs> Yeah, but Zim is one of those countries that, I don't know, it's sort of like the very beautiful, uh, very intelligent, but uh, abusive partner, if you know what I mean. Like, it's, it's so easy to love, but that, that love sort of comes with all these kind of complications. And I don't, know, I don't really know how to put it into words. I mean, Zim is, to me, like the most beautiful country in the world, without, without yeah. a No, absolutely, without a doubt. And it's, I can't, yeah, I couldn't explain it better than you just have where it's the, it's the strangest. So I moved back from Johannesburg. I lived in Johannesburg for about eight years. Yeah. And about three years ago, I moved back. Um, and it was only supposed to be for three months, before, you know, while I gathered myself and decided what my next move was going to be. And yeah, like I say, that was, that was three years ago. Because there's just something here that just hooks you. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's an abusive relationship because obviously it comes, there's a lot of hurdles that you need to be able to overcome to live here. Um, 
but at the but same it's time, real, it's, it's got a real warmth, hasn't it? I mean, there's something about the people. There's something I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, there's just something about it that, like, you're in Zim, and just it's uh, there's despite all the chaos going on, you know, not being able to find fuel, there being no electricity, your water's just run out. Uh, there's just something about it that makes you happy. I think. <laughs> No, totally. And it's incredible because, you, you know, the more you travel around the world, you actually, and, you know, there are incredible places around the world, but there's just no way that actually compares to Zim. And I mean, I suppose being brought up here, it's just Zimbabwe will always be home. Um, yeah. But there's definitely, I, I get asked a lot <laughs> why I live in Zimbabwe. <laughs> um, but like you said, I mean, it's the people here. I just don't think you, you'll be hard pressed to find people that are as welcoming and friendly and warm as Zimbabweans. Um, and just the natural beauty of, you know, you, I live obviously in, you know, the suburbs in Zimbabwe, but you drive for half an hour and you're suddenly in the bushveld. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is incredible. And then, or you drive three hours in the opposite direction and you're up, you know, top of the mountain surrounded by fir trees. Mm. Um, there's just such a diverse landscape here. And I just, it's, to me, will always be the most beautiful country in the world. Yeah. And so do you think you'll always, do you think you'll always stay? Or do you think for your, for your work, you'll, I mean, I guess, I guess if your work is wildlife, it's, it's the perfect place to be. I mean, why would you go, why would you go somewhere else? I, I mean, where else could you go to get, to get into Yeah, it? look, I mean, I think, realistically i'm not sure if i would stay forever um just in terms of ease of living mm. um you know i'm not sure you just that's the one bad the downside here is it is you just never know what's coming yeah um and i think you need to be realistic in terms of you know you might need to move at some point um but what i can say without a doubt is that it will always be a huge part of me and whether I lived overseas or like, you know, wherever, you'll always be drawn back to Zimbabwe. You could, I don't think it's possible to actually just cut it out completely. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, with the wildlife side of things, it is great to be, you know, so easy to access um, your subject matter. Um, but like I said, that is, I will always come back here and it's, you know, you can very easily quickly surround yourself by that again when you need your fix. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you, you said we, we spoke a bit about sort of winning that first competition in, in 2009. Did, like, was it just a case of, I mean, did, were you totally self-taught or did you have a mentor or did you have, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what was your kind of experience of getting into it? I mean, you know, if I just sat down and, and drew, I'd, I'd be useless. <laughs> um, well, I went to St. George's College here for high school. Um, yeah. And St. George's was always renowned for its observation, uh, you know, art, where, yeah. you know, you're drawing your still life or you're painting your still life. And I think that's where my pencil work started and which came relatively easy to me. But again, like I said, even then, just never thought that I would be doing this for a living. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was literally just from the first drawing completely just self-taught um, wow. and looking at other people's work. And I mean, it's, it's quite sad if you fly on the wall, how long I could actually, if someone was to watch, how long I could stare at someone else's drawing. Um, just trying to pick up, you know, the hand movements and the hand gestures and 
the different you know techniques of shading and stuff and it's i mean it's been a constant i love what i will say for myself is it's been a constant 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 um you know applying you know practice and practice and practice and just over time or just gradually you just learn more skills and everything and i think which is almost i would say the better way to learn as opposed to learning through someone um you know you make your own mistakes and i mean made horrendous mistakes over the years but i would rather do it that way you know that it's on you as opposed to having a teacher showing you how to do things yeah and i mean the artists you sort of uh, look up to or who sort of inform your work or who kind of inspire you yeah absolutely i mean i will always always remember when, uh, when i was about 15 16 i stumbled across uh, a book by the artist craig bone also zimbabwean born um and it was just a book of his all his work which was pencil and oils of wildlife Okay. And I think that was, well, I mean, it obviously wasn't the first time I've ever seen wildlife art, but it was the first time that it ever really grabbed my attention. And I just remember, I mean, I studied this book for hours and hours and days and, you know, upon days. It was just completely and utterly, I just became obsessed with wildlife art from that one book. And I mean, I've always been a huge, since then, I've always been a huge fan of Craig Bone's work. Um, he mainly does oil paintings, but you know, with a few, he does a few pencil, a mm. uh, bit of pencil work as well. But then obviously, and then there's the David, you know, David Shepard, who was the, the founding father basically of wildlife art. Um, yeah. I mean, his work is just absolutely incredible and have been so lucky to be become very close with his family, which a couple of members are incredible artists in their own right. Um, I'm very close friends with Emily Lamb, who is David Shepard's granddaughter. And I think to this day is one of my favorite artists around. Um, but it's interesting. It's my favorite artists are actually artists that work completely different to me. Um, oh, really? Emily's, Emily's work is very bright and very colorful and quite abstract. And I mean, it's powerful, powerful work but obviously the complete polar opposite to what I do. Mm. Um, I think people that work similar to me, <laughs> I might just see as competition. Admire their work as opposed to trying to be better then. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, and there's Larry Norton in, in the falls who, I mean, also a huge, huge fan. Um, and as far back as, I mean, I must say, I mean, when I went, I did a trip around Europe about, geez, I don't even want to think anymore uh, about how long, about 10 years ago. And yeah. I mean, it sounds cliche, but I mean, my absolute favorite artist is Da Vinci. I mean, his pencil work is just, and I've seen some, some of his work, you know, in the flesh and it's yeah. just... I mean, it's yeah, mind just mind blowing in terms of. I mean, mind mind blowing in terms of skill, but also to actually see, the pencil marks where you know his actual hand, <laughs> you know, drew put the pencil onto the paper is just and time mind blowing. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a huge variety of, 
artists that I admire. Um, but I am also quite bad in terms of knowing a lot of artists. I just know who I like. <laughs> <laughs> right, fair enough. And I mean, we, we spoke about Zim and sort of our mutual love for Zim. And I mean, if someone wanted to sort of learn a bit more about Zimbabwe without traveling there, I mean, at the moment, you know, it's impossible to travel, but regardless, like what would you sort of recommend they, they read or, or watched or looked at? I mean, is there anything that you sort of think gives a really good sense of Zimbabwe? Do you know, and it's quite funny because I've literally just finished. Uh, so when I work at the moment, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. Um, and recently I finished listening to, I mean, I've read the book must be about 15 times. I don't know if you remember the book by Peter Godwin, Mukiwa. Yeah, yeah. I, do. I mean, it was, it's bizarre. I mean, every time I listen to or read that book, to me, that's just Zimbabwe. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's such yeah. a, and I don't know if you need to be from here to get the proper sense of it, but his description of, you know, the landscape and the way things are done here and the laid back, easy manner of the people here is just so well expressed through that book. Yeah, um, it is. You're right. And, but yeah, as far as other, uh, work other than that, uh, books other than that, GCR, I wouldn't actually have a clue other than Google. <laughs> but I mean, there is what I what I do love at the moment is there has, well, especially before, you know, the Corona hit the world, um, there was such a great movement in terms of publicity for Zimbabwe. You know, mm. the Victoria Falls was booming, yeah, um, and there was such a great push for exposure to these incredible uh, wildlife, you know, the bush camps and places to go here so i just hope once the world goes back to normal you know that kind of exposure will pick up again yeah i mean i'm sure it will it's some of the premier sort of game viewing in the world isn't it i mean you go to wangi or you you go to kriba and you, you don't really see other people you know you can go the whole day without seeing people and just no game. and i mean it's the most we all i mean every time you go to kriba you everyone always comments on that you know where else in the world can you sit you know, without, without rules and regulations and yeah. restrictions, you know, you sit in your sit in your boat drinking a beer with an elephant five meters away from you, and those trees sort of coming up. You know, those old trees coming up from the from the water. It's 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 incredible. It's beautiful. No, it's yeah. absolutely incredible. And I mean, a, a lot of people do comment that you know, unfortunately, with things as they are, you know, there are places in Kariba that have certainly fallen into disrepair. Yeah, And, you know, a lot of people comment, you know, oh, I just wish this place, you know, you, we're sitting on a gold mine over there. Mm. And I mean, I just think half the attraction to Kariba is the fact that you can be on that lake and not see a single other soul. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, that's, it's just wildlife in its, you know, proper, raw, natural form. Well, it's wild. Totally. You know, it's I mean, totally I just, wild. I just, nowhere else in the world would you have wild animals with direct access to you yeah yeah no you're right you're right and i i yeah i just i think it's incredible i mean i'm never more relaxed than when i'm sort of out in the bush or on a game drive or something it's just you know i mean more relaxing than being on a sort of tropical beach somewhere you just you're out of mobile phone signal you don't see other people and you're just surrounded by like the most beautiful scenery and the most beautiful game you can imagine. It's, it's incredible. And it's, it's you know, my, and just even just the noises. I mean, I don't know if you, 
my, the, my favorite sound in the world is that fish eagle cry. Oh, you've got to do an impression of it now. <laughs> no, <laughs> never. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 yeah, it's amazing. No, it's, it, yeah. But you know, and I agree with you, you're sitting on a houseboat and you hear that and you just think, again, it's, I mean, it's a very Zimbabwean thing to say, but you know, we say it often, just where else in the world? Yeah. You know, you're yeah. sitting, and I mean, this might not go down so well with uh, people overseas or people who don't understand, but you know, you're sitting on a houseboat, 10 o'clock in the morning, eating your eggs and bacon with a beer. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I always remember having breakfast and Sunny looking up and literally 20 meters away was just the line of elephants with their trunks in the, you know, swimming across the bay. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. No, and I mean, the first, think, yeah. the first trip I went on to Mana, I went with like a group of <coughs> guys. So there was sort of probably 15 of us and the day started at 6 a.m. with a beer. I mean, it was like, you know, it was just, and you're on the river all day, six till six, rain or shine, and it's beautiful, but like, it's and just- you don't, it's, And it's bizarre because you do that anywhere, you know, you do it in town here and you're a reprobate. Yeah. It's just a very natural part of your routine out in the bushes to crack a beer, you know, as you wake up, you have yeah, your coffee. Like, it's like airports. You see people in airports cracking open a beer at six in the morning. It's perfectly acceptable. I think the river's probably the same. It's yeah, that's so it's so so true. Time just doesn't exist over there. <laughs> so David, if if you know, you spoke about commissions. I mean, is that is that mainly how you sort of work? Do people would 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 people get in touch with you or how do they how do they find your your drawings and how does the whole sort of sale process work? I mean, I've got sort of no idea really about, I mean, is it through galleries or do they contact you directly or? A um, bit of both actually. I mean, in the beginning, obviously it was very much, um, I mean, gosh, we're talking about days before, when I started, it was before Instagram or Facebook or, um, so it was and very has that much. Helped you? I mean, has, has Instagram helped you? Yeah, I would, not in terms of, I don't know, maybe it's my age showing. I mean, not that old, but at the same time, I'm not, um, but not 19. You know, a lot of people are desperate to get as many followers as possible. And I mean, I've got a nice number of followers, followers on Instagram and on Facebook, but I genuinely just, I don't ever get the sense that, how do I put this without completely digging myself a grave? I think it's great to have followers and it's, you know, it's incredible to have people admiring your work and to give feedback on it and you can see what can work and what can't but in terms of selling my art i don't think i've had one commission from instagram oh, really? um, i mean i just don't i think you know people that are serious about art buying and stuff i'm just not sure that That's the they would want to go through instagram you know maybe they've seen your work through it and get hold of you separately um i don't know how many people have gone that route but in terms of like you know, direct messaging and saying, I'm interested in your work. I don't think I've had one, one of those actually. Um, but yeah, so when I first started out, that was before social media and very much word of mouth, very much, you know, people seeing your work or doing, I had a few exhibitions here in Harare um, and then a few in Johannesburg. Um, and a lot of it was networking there where you get people to see your work and then, uh, obviously through websites and all of that. And then, how long has it been now? About six, seven years. I joined the Holden Munns Gallery in Franschhoek. Okay. Um, who I'm with at the moment. And 
which so is just take, it's been, do they take all your work yeah at the moment yeah they do um and i have to say it's again it's advice that i would give to a young artist is you know try and find the gallery to take your work on but just in terms of the freedom that it then gives you to not worry about finding that next sale or sorting out invoicing and sorting out the backwards and forwards of you know endless discussions and everything with the, uh, you just get to draw yeah and they take care of the nitty gritty um side of things and it's been an incredible partnership where yeah, they take care of all my admin and I get to sit in the studio all day and draw without worrying about that side of things. Yeah, and, and what's the kind of timeline like on a, on a drawing? How, how long does it take you from sort of start to, start to finish? I mean, it oh, it's, it's such a painful, not painful question, it's such a question. Um, you can, you can say it's a painful question. question. <laughs> because, I mean, it's, and I get asked it every single time you know, someone orders, understandably, you know, that people yeah. want to know how long it's going to take. And there is just no answer until we've chosen the subject and the size. Yeah. Because, you know, drawing a zebra, not that it's fast, but it is a lot faster than drawing a pangolin. That will literally, by the end, every time I draw a pangolin, which I am, I mean, pangolins are literally one of my favorite animals. They're amazing. Um, but by the time you finish drawing one, you want to check yourself into a mental hospital. <laughs> you know, it's just those scales upon scales upon scales, and each scale has its own set of striations. You know, it's not even uniform striations that you can just mass produce. Yeah. Um, each scale is different with its own scratches. And by the time, yeah, by the time you finish, you are you're done. You slightly lost it a bit. Um, but yeah, it just depends on the subject matter and it depends on the size in terms of the time frame. Yeah. And what's the longest it's taken you? At the moment, I would say about three, four months. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which was, yeah, it was quite a big, but it was uh, for an incredible client overseas, which was a huge gorilla. Um, Oh, is that the one you've got, you've got on your Instagram and you're sort of kind of posing in front of and it's yeah, almost, yes, yeah. almost as big as you? Yeah, I mean, and I just absolutely loved working on it. And that's the thing, what I, what I do love with, the, I love working on the huge pieces, but you just lose yourself in them completely. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's, it's quite, a, quite a discipline you have to learn to be able to stand back at the end of the day and realize that on these huge pieces, you've only drawn, you know, you've, you've maybe worked on the piece for, for 10, 12 hours in a day and you stand back and you realize that you've probably achieved about two by two square centimeters. Wow. Um, but it's also just part of the, I just, it's, I love the feeling of slowly building it. And one day you stand back and you suddenly think, oh, hey, there's a gorilla. <laughs> But that must be quite a nice way to work. I mean, when you've got the commission sort of up front, it gives you the freedom to just really dive into it and just go, okay, I've got, I've got however long it takes to get this perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was also a lesson that I definitely needed to learn is to not, not never promise when a piece is going to be finished. You know, you can give a very loose time frame, 
yeah. but at the same time it's just i refuse to rush you know anything and not deliver something that i'm happy with um but yeah you've got to just kind of it's all part of the process is just losing yourself in the piece and taking your time on it and you know some pieces you can fly through they just it just works and it just you know tumbles out of you whereas others you really need to kind of dig deep and mm. take your time over and go over each piece minutely to get the you know right effect and right texture i mean one of my favorite pieces that i've done was a maasai man uh whispering to a giraffe oh uh, yeah that's where he sort of looks like he's kind of kissing it yes yeah 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 um and i mean it's just i loved working on that piece and you know not that it was easy at all i mean it was honestly probably one of my most difficult pieces but he's got you know he's got uh, the beaded bracelets on his wrist which just by itself i mean that was about 3 weeks of work wow um i mean his the, his thumb i always remember drawing his thumb because that was 5 days of work and just and it's not it's more figuring out how to do it yeah um and spending your time getting those creases and getting those wrinkles and it's again it's advice that i give young go artists um it's just you have to you think you're done take another 3 days going over it and tightening it up and adding more detail and you know just really really staring at a single certain area and figuring out um yeah how to achieve the look you want but and especially with the say like the man in the draft piece i mean there was there's like eight different textures in one area Incredible. so yeah it was it's been a pro, it's a process i mean an incredible amount of patience i mean you spoke about sort of listening to audiobooks i mean could you kind of set the scene of your studio i mean it does do you have to have it a certain way do you have to listen to a certain music or is it just it, it could be anything no i mean i'm quite it is one i think it's got a little bit to do with my ocd but i'm very much of the mindset that gosh what what is this, um you know cluttered space cluttered mind yeah um for once of a better description for my studio it's very minimalist and quite sterile uh just in terms of i hate clutter i can't have clutter around me when i work mm. um i hate no one's allowed in the studio with coffee or food or anything <laughs> like that it's just you know one wrong mistake and eight weeks of your life work can go down the drain yeah. um So no it's I mean I love my studio but it is it's quite devoid of anything other than my big drawing table uh the computer in the corner uh and which you know I listen to my audiobooks on and the my only free requisite to work other than the the clean working space is for some reason I just have to have noise some form of noise whether it's music or whether it's an audiobook i can yeah. i went through a stage where i would have series on or you know movies on in the background constantly um and it was really quite interesting when i first moved back when all the power cuts started yeah and suddenly you don't have you know the radio or music or audiobooks playing 
And I literally went through a stage where I just had to, well, that's me done for the day. I can't work right now until the power comes back on. It's too quiet. <laughs> it's far too quiet. I think there's too much noise going on upstairs in my head. Uh, <laughs> to be able to sit and work for hours upon hours on end. With no, I get that. Yeah, no, I get that. Totally. I get. And to sort of get away from work, to relax, you know, to, I mean, do you go to the gym? Do you, is, there, is there other stuff you do just to sort of clear your mind and reset if you're having a sort of, a moment where you're stuck or you're yeah and it's it, that it, that's almost part of the the discipline of especially for my work um i hate the gym but <laughs> i you know i make sure that i go as much as you know every day if i can and even days and days when i miss the gym or can't go for some reason it's not that i miss the gym i miss the almost the brain reset that it gives. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it just allows you to get out and to kind of refresh your brain, refresh your eyes, because, and it's incredible, because if, if I'm working the entire day, um, you know, 12, 10 hours straight, by the end of the day, your eyes, your eyes don't pick up the mistakes, you know, that fresh yeah. eyes would, and you, make, you do make silly mistakes. Um, and so, yeah, I find it's very important part of the routine is to even if it's just to take a walk around the garden just to kind of you know get out and kind of give your brain a rest um but at the moment i'm training for that uh well training for it not sure if i'll be able to accomplish it but the that robin island the freedom swim oh wow okay um, yeah so i want to so that's a, cape town that's where you know, that's when Nelson Mandela was in prison. So you're swimming from the island to the, to the mainland, right? Yes, yeah, from Robben Island to Bloberg. Um, and how far is so it? So I want to do it as part of, I mean, part of the whole charity and the foundation. So we'll be swimming, swimming for elephants. Yeah. Uh, swimming to raise money for elephants. Um, but yeah, quite a nice, it's a nice goal to have on the side that again can give your brain a rest every now and then. And I love swimming. So it's definitely become part of my routine at the moment. And when will that be and how far is it? So it's, I think it's 7.6 kilometers, which, which isn't actually the bad part. It's the temperature of the water that is, that's the scary part. Um, yeah. And the presence of great white sharks, which <laughs> I'm not looking forward to. Um, <laughs> there's quite a lot about it that doesn't sound very nice. No, no, no. Um, but I think they, they try and hold it as close to... Gosh, I'm going to get slaughtered if I get this wrong. But I, uh, it's sometime in April. They hold it close to, I think, is it Freedom Day? or Okay. Um, and try and hold it as close to that as possible. But, yeah, who knows if it'll even be on. Obviously, this year it was cancelled. Thank yeah. goodness, because there was no way I was going to be ready for it. Um, <laughs> and we've just got to see for next year. And up until then, yeah, then I need to start raising money for that. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, let us know how it goes. Yeah, um, well, let you know if I get out of the water alive. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be watching. Don't worry. I'll, uh... So last question. <laughs> last question. If people sort of want to check out your work or buy your work or where should they go? Uh, what's, I mean, you mentioned the gallery, but uh, I mean, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram with the hand. So it's David Filer art on Instagram and or it's just david at davidfileart.com 
um, or visit the Men's Art uh, Gallery in Franchuk. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Please go check it out. If you'd like to check out more of David's work or understand what the David Shepherd Foundation do and who they are, I put the links in the show notes below. If you enjoyed today's show, please do consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing the content far and wide. All our social media channels are below. Thanks again for listening and I hope you'll check back in.